This is Lesson Jack on Writing Uncensored, Episode 3 Scenes and Sequels. What is this thing called love? This funny thing called love? Oh, who can solve its mystery? What the hell are scenes and sequels? Are we recording now? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what scenes are. It's, uh, it's, that's actually scenes and sequels are the two building blocks of fiction. Okay. That's it. Uh, they make up all stories. Um, two, how to plan a sequel. Three, how to write a scene. Four, how to write a sequel. And five, how to use them together. Uh, First of all, what's a scene? What's your definition of a scene? Um, a scene is something that takes place in one location with a beginning, middle, and end. Okay. Try, try this for, for a definition. It's nothing more than a unit of conflict lived through by the character and the reader. It can't, it doesn't have to be in one location. It could be moved. It could be moving and be in various locations. Huh. Okay, so that's, it doesn't have to be in one, one it's, uh, place. Wait, what's the, what's, the, what's the definition again? It's nothing more than a unit of conflict lived through by the character and the reader. The protagonist. But isn't the that like the whole story? The whole story is made up of scenes and sequels. Yeah, it's well, a microcosm of of the story. What starts a scene? We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. Um, all it, it, everything important in your story should be cast in a scene. Everything important. Okay, that's why the inciting incident has to be a scene. Can't be used to a character talking about something that happened to him that affected him. We have to live through it with the character. It's the only way it impacts us as a reader. Okay. okay? So everything important has to be cast as a scene. Um, if you want something to assume importance to the reader, you have to cast it in scene form. Okay. So, second, what is what is a sequel? Have you heard, are you familiar with that term? In general. Okay. How would you define a scene? A sequel? That's just another name. That doesn't define it. Okay, make it easy. It's just a unit of transition that links two scenes. Okay. Okay. It's the it, a sequel is when you can introduce thought, all that kind of stuff into it. Introspection, all that kind of stuff into it. Interpretation of what just happened by the by the character, whatever. Okay. Um, the framework of a scene is simply a blow-by-blow account of someone else, somebody's time, unified, unified effort to attain an immediate goal despite head-to-head opposition. That's it. There are two functions of scenes. One is to bright, provide interest and the other is to move your story forward. Okay? Okay. Follow? Okay. Uh, providing interest. Because it it pits your focal character against opposition, raising the question to the reader, 
of will his character win or won't, or won't, won't he? Uh, example, this goes kind of along with your story. Example, John is trying to get a date with Marcia. It's next to closing time in a nightclub. Will John get the date or will she turn him down? Okay, that's how you plan a scene. Moving the story forward, it changes your focal character situation. And while change doesn't always constitute progress, progress always involves change. In our dating situation, our protagonist is, is in a far different situation if he's turned down than, than he was at the beginning of the round. Also true if he succeeds in getting a date from Marcia. What unifies a scene? Time. Okay? You live through a scene and there are no breaks in the flow of, of, this, of time. Once the bell rings, there's no time out for the fighter. Until the bell rings again, he has to okay, stand. Okay, just, just to get more clear on the yeah. difference between like a scene in a play or a movie and a scene in a story. So you're saying, like for instance, in the in your example, his the scene opens with him. He wants to get a date, right, with, with Marsha. He's in a club. Marsha's in the club. It's near closing time. There's tension. And she leaves the club, and he just for example, and just say he follows her out. It hasn't been resolved yet. He still no. thinks that's why can, it's not. That's why it can so be it could in be different locations. In a movie, it would be seen in the club, seen in the parking lot. Because they differentiate it night, day, and all that bullshit. Right, so it's a different kind of scene. Well, it's not a different kind. You just don't have to mark it that way. We see it by just following the scene. We but see if they went outside because it says they went scene outside. in terms of a goal. Right. What, how did you define it? Not a goal, but it's. Like, it's just a blow-by-blow -blow account of somebody's time, unified effort to attain an immediate goal, despite head-to-head -head opposition. That's it. Okay, yeah, so it's his goal, basically. Yeah. Right. All scenes are goal-oriented. They have to be. He wants something. And it has it's to be the, in it's service the, it's of... It's the sequence of the goal. It's the, no. It's... Oh, not, well... I mean, I'm just... It's a, it's yeah. a timeline of the goal. From, well, it's a from, timeline of his... His struggle to resolve the from establishing the goal, which what, is to resolve the problem. What his goal is to, to how it resolves, whether he gets a goal or not gets a goal. Yeah, it's a step toward resolving his problem. Right. That's always the goal. Okay. These are all steps. That's what scenes are. Oh, and that's how it's related to the like you said macro. Yeah. Like the macro, the, the macro story is a one big scene. Right. Well, it's not one big scene, but it's one big entity. It contains because of the inciting incident and the story creates problem. Creates a story problem, and from then on, the the the, the story is about him trying. And so each to scene, resolve the problem. Each quote scene is a ma micro of that bigger one. Exactly. Exactly. That's interesting. Exactly. It has to be. It has to be tied. That's the spine of every story: is the character's story problem, him trying to resolve the story problem. That's the spine of it. Everything has to be attached. That's great because it's a way of looking yeah. at like the issue last week when we were talking about protagonist antagonist, and uh -huh. I was, and I discovered that oh, the story problem, he's dealing with the surface story problem in every scene. Yeah, absolutely it has to, or it's not a story. So I can take the. It's I could look. I could look as I'm working. I could look at where am I at in this scene. Yeah. 
is 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 the character uh is that where his focus is yeah it has to be all right. the way through that's why i keep saying it the story problem has to be on every single page every single page right. not makes overtly it but he it, it has to be what, what drives him to do everything he does this makes it easier to think about it. yeah it's amazing yeah. like now i'm thinking of about how I would sit down and apply this to yeah. what I'm doing. See, there's, there's, it's, it's not as simple as A, B, and C. There, there's layers and there's different elements right. and stuff like that. Right. This is just the two main building blocks of the story. Right. But it always has to be tied to his story problem. It always has to be involved with his effort to right. resolve that sense. problem. Always. Right. Can't go off on tangents. Right. That's what I'm saying. In a way, you I think you were getting a little too far from his problem, going off on his crime tangent, and you know, we're getting yeah, too far. Yeah, but I was field. missing the point that he was aware of his story problem. I was trying to stick. Got to be aware of it. That's remember the definition of it, the story. Right, but there was that rule that he doesn't know the deeper story problem. No, no, yeah, you're exactly right. But the deeper story problem is the same thing. It's just in a bigger, more universal form. Right, That's right, all. right, right. It's the same right, thing. Right, right. Okay. All right. Um, now. Okay. Okay. Does that help? So yeah. Far? No, it's great. Uh, the so the, what is the sequel? We're gonna get to that now. Okay. Okay. The whole purpose of a scene is to move the story forward closer to the end, to, close to a resolution. Okay. They don't get there. They don't get there until the whole 350 pages are done. Right. But each one has to get them a little bit closer. And at times, a little bit farther away. So but it's not just he keeps losing, keeps losing, keeps losing, keeps losing. He does, but he also wins because he gains something that's going to get him closer to resolving the story, to Which understanding it, what his real problem is. It could just be a reflection on the loss. I don't understand that. I mean, how would he... How would he... Um, if he just gets keeps getting beaten down... Yeah, thinking of and he has to. The lesson from the beatdown... I mean, in the, I mean, see? My mind is like doing screenplay. Yeah. That's That kind of takes you back, I, I'm afraid. But that's all right, you get over it. Because it's like... In the book, you have his internal dialogue. Right. That's what sequel is, basically. Okay. Okay, that's when he reflects, stuff like that. That's when you can get into his head. So in, in the reflection, it's going to be some clue. It's going to be what? Some clue to him that... Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of show by the action of his mind or whatever where he's at and where he's headed and what he's gained or lost. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and the thing that unifies the scene is time. You live through a scene and there are no breaks in the flow of time. Once the bell rings, there's no time out for the fighter. Until the bell rings again, he has to stand and take his lumps, minute by minute, blow by blow. No place here for flashbacks or anything that would divert from the action and tension of the scene. Scene structure is very simple. It consists of a goal... His goal is to get it, in this case, to get win a date with Marcia. Conflict, there's going to be conflict. There's already some conflict because it's close to closing time. Right. So he's got a time frame he's got to act against. There's going to be a lot more conflict in this scene we're creating. But 
and disaster. It has to end in disaster, or that's the end of the story. It cannot win. It cannot. It can win in what looks to be a win, but very quickly that has to turn disaster. And disaster. I don't mean a disaster like in our earthquake or anything. I mean right, right, right. he doesn't get the goal. Right. Okay. Now, here's how it works. Take take our our. Or it turns out to be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Our, let's take our paramour, John. His goal is to obtain a date from Marcia. Marcia has a goal, too, to keep him from obtaining a date too easily, lest she be thought of as easy. Okay, she's uh -huh. got a goal, too. Right. Everybody in the scene has a goal. Okay. Everybody. Remember, all major characters and scenes Oh, my God, are, and that's something else to think about. Yeah. Which will build a great story. Yes. Right. It's all starting to come together bit by bit, isn't it? Right. You're a great study because... You, you're intelligent. You already have a huge background in writing, just a different form of writing. So you can relate much quicker. Well, that's an area in, like, playwriting that I would do. Yeah. I would have definite, like, goals of, like, each character. Yeah. Because that's what creates conflict. Sure. And conflict is the essence yeah. of drama. Okay. Just remember, all major characters and scenes have goals, not just protagonists. It makes They're, it fun, actually. Yes, it does. Right. It's fun to write when you know what you, you're setting a battle. You're fighting all the way through. This is cool shit. Right. It's cool shit. Okay, Johnny introduces himself. Himself delivers a joke, maybe. Marsha laughs in spite of herself. John smiles in triumph. It looks like a triumph. When he does, a piece of spinach appears in his front teeth. <laughs> Okay, Marcia points it out, making a joke. Embarrassed to death, John tries to come back with another witty remark, but his confidence is shot and his remark is weak. She sneers, walks away. Disaster. Holy crap. Holy crap, what? I wish I could just write. Because <laughs> I'm learning... I mean, this is going to be a great shortcut. Not a shortcut, but it's just going to make it a lot easier. In addition to all the other stuff. I'm yeah. There's a period of time with new knowledge that slows you down because you got to think consciously about it. Uh -huh. But once it becomes subconscious, then it makes it faster. Right. And the only thing that makes it subconscious is to do it over and over. Mm -hmm. Like riding a bike. you got to think of three things. You always forget one or two of them and you fall. Next time you, you master that one, but you forget the first one you memorized, you thought, and another one you fall. It, that's the process. keeps going, keeps going. You start getting a little better at it because you become subconscious about some of the things. You always remember to steer, let's say, after a while, but you forget to pedal or you forget to, you know, whatever, keep your balance. Right. And, but eventually, one day, you're just sailing down the street. Like you've been doing it all your life, and it's easy because it's gone into the subconscious. Right. But it takes time to get there. Right. It just takes time. I, I already got pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of knew that. Anyway, when, when you started writing screenplays, you didn't know it all. Once it took you a long time to learn it all, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but then eventually, you know all the language. You can talk with other people. They know the language, same language you do. You don't have to think about it. You just go to the problem and do it. 
I remember I tell people about this all the time when I was writing I think it was before I knew screenwriting mm-hmm. somebody had told me like you know I moved to LA to be a filmmaker mm-hmm. and I hadn't learned screenwriting I went to this avant-garde you know independent sure not independent it's not, like this filmmaking program that didn't wasn't Hollywood films it was like painting and sculpture so I knew that a piece in my education was how to write a screenplay mm-hmm. and so after I moved to LA one of the goals was to go to UCLA extensive screenwriting mm-hmm. and I was working as an extra on a set and I met this guy on this I could I remember the movie but um, who had a script option with Fox mm-hmm and this is probably 1991 1992 and he said that's when I was teaching her he said just start writing just start writing a story just to get uh, an idea for a movie to Mm -hmm. get the like 20 minutes a day you can do it in front of your TV just to get the a story down yeah and start like that and I think it was that period of time when I was writing this story at the computer and it was like something clicked in my head one day mm-hmm. where it was like oh this is what I need to do getting no it wasn't like a thought that I had it was like as I was writing getting the, the thing that was in my head into words so that it read well like what I it described what you're seeing in your mind right and it was some kind of it like clicked mm-hmm. and it's like what you were saying about riding a bike it's like yeah sure I did r- papers in hi- high school I did writing in high school different kind of things and I learned structure you know paragraph structure and and in college I had writing I had a 10 page writing requirement and a 20 page writing requirement and I could tell stories, you know, go on and on about stuff since I was a kid. But, but that tr- that thing happened, and it was like a click. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because there's like before that and after that. Yeah. You know, before that, I I don't know. It's you know, I, I don't know if I was I wasn't really struggling, but it was like after that. Then I got to know when I was, you know, what. What do? Mm-hmm. And it's the most bizarre thing. You know, because it's not something external. Mm-hmm. But I think it's related to that. And then, yeah, and then I took UCLA screenwriting and learned. They teach you some format. Shit. The formatting. There's like a specific format. And, and I used that story. I brought that story into my first screenplay. I created a screenplay out of that mm-hmm. story. But. Anyway. Okay. I don't need it. We're recording? Oh, yeah. It's recording. Okay. You're just going to cut out a bunch of shit, right? I'll leave <laughs> that, what I just said, and the stuff about my history. But, okay, so sequel. What's the sequel? Okay. We're still on scene. Okay. Let's go through very thoroughly on scene. Okay. Okay. Okay, goal conflict. 
disaster, all the parts are there at the scene. Now let's make it more complicated. Because you want to always complicate things, not make them easier. Right. Okay? He walks into a nightclub and approaches Marcia. He has a goal. He wants something. Something always falls into one something always falls into one of three categories. Could be A, possession of something, a girl, a job, money, whatever. B, could be relief from something, blackmail, domination, fear. Or C, revenge for something, a snub, a betrayal, a loss. They all have to fall into one of those three categories. And you could or, have, I could have, like in my story, I could have all those yeah, in different But scenes. one will be overriding. Okay. One will be the main thing. Probably his would be B, relief from something. Right. Okay. And, and maybe a little revenge, too. Yeah. If the opportunity comes up. But it has to fall into one of, one of the three. It fall into more than one. One's going to be the main one. Right. Okay. All right. In this case, he want, John wants a date with Marcia. But how does he propose about achieving this goal? Here's an important point. A goal is not a goal until it's, this is very important, until it's specific and concrete and immediate enough for the character to take some sort of action toward achieving it. Here's, this is key. The essence of any goal is the decision to act by your character. And ideally, this decision should focus on a target so exact that you could photograph your character performing the act to which he aspires. If you can't, the goal isn't specific enough. To win love as the goal is weak. To get Marcia into bed is much stronger. Always think in terms of photographing his goal. It makes it so much stronger. You'll write so much better scenes if you do that. You see the difference? To win love, it's meaningless. What does that mean? But to get her in the sack, to have sex, that's specific. You can, you can photograph that. So like a 3D, something in 3D, something in the physical reality. Something you can photograph. How are you going to photograph win love? You can't photograph. There's no, it's an abstract, ethereal thing. But to fuck her, that's concrete. You can picture that. You can take a picture of that. Right. Do that with all your goals, and they'll become your writing will just become clear immediately, just by doing that one thing. I keep forgetting to tell our class that I tell them at the beginning, but all the classes run together, and I forget what I told them what I have. So I'm gonna have to go over that again. <coughs> okay, <coughs> John's John's goal is to take Marcia out is to take her out to the Grateful Dead concert tomorrow. I know, I know, that dates me. But anyway... Oh, so you instead of saying fuck her, you're saying take her to a concert, because you can picture that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every st every part of the goal should be able to He's be He's not just saying, I just want to randomly take her out somewhere. Yeah. He has maybe, a specific maybe, goal. Maybe a character wouldn't think of screwing somebody's love. Maybe he's, I don't know, back in the 1700s or something. When he thinks kissing her is love. I what, what, but still, it should be something you can photograph. Right. Something concrete. Okay. Get a little smooth. He must take her to the Grateful Dead, and there, this is what he's thinking. Aided by the adrenaline, created by the flashing lights and music, he hopes to get her into the sack. Inner conflict. Now you got to put some conflict in there. Okay. It's just another name for opposition. A character trying to walk through a brick wall. 
It's an irresistible force meeting an Im immovable object. Two forces trying to gain mutually incompatible goals. For one to win, the other must lose. Okay? That makes sense, right? Right. First, he states his case, in this instance, by flirting. The reader needs to know what your hero proposes to attempt, or at least he that he proposes to attempt something. If no attempt is made, there can be no struggle. Mm. Okay. If Marsha is eager for the day as John is, you have no conflict, no reader intrigue, interest-provoking question of who wins and who loses. Therefore, you don't have a scene. Wait, say that again? If Marsha is as eager for the date as John is, you have no conflict. Oh, okay. No reader intriguing, interest-provoking question of who win who wins and who loses. Right. Therefore, that you have seen. Right. Got to be opposition. So we make Marsha not laugh at his joke. It seems she's got her eye on somebody else in the in the nightclub. Right. Conflict. All right. And that means John's going to have to fight to win this his goal. John asks her point blank if she'll go to the concert with him. She tells him she'll think about it. Okay? This is how you evolve scene, how you plan scenes. If he takes no for an answer easily, we can assume one or two things. Either he didn't really want to date very much after all, or he lacks the strength of character to fight for what he wants, which means he's weak and ineffectual, and why should anybody give a darn what happens to a character like that? Nobody will. Right. Okay, he's got to really want this, but let's let's make John strong, and he does want the date, so he fights using anything and everything in his arsenal. Finally, Marsha agrees. Cool, right? Nope, not cool. We made it too easy for him. The conflict is too limited, and the scene can't seem too soon ended. So maybe they can argue some more. No, endless arguing quickly becomes. It just becomes mind-numbing and boring. Right. So you got to throw a new twist in there. More twist, more twist, more twist. Right. What to do? Answer, bring in additional external difficulties related to the situation. Offer new developments, more complications. Make it harder for John to win. Build up the opposition to his goal. The guy Marcia has her eye on walks over and begins talking to her. She warms to him immediately. Now you got a scene that's cooking. John has to fight harder. He remembers something. Marcia has mentioned in her conversation she loves dancing. He's seen a new suitor dancing earlier, and the guy's terrible. He asks her to dance. She hesitates. Clearly, she wants a new guy. Let's call him Rocky to ask her instead. But Rocky hesitates himself. He knows he's a lousy dancer, and she reluctantly agrees to dance the next dance with John. You see how much neater the scene is now? Okay, a new complication. Rocky has upped the stakes, provided new opposition. John, as any worthy protagonist would, doesn't give up at this, but renews his efforts, searches for a way to defeat his opponent, and that has to come from something within himself, not from outside forces helping him. Okay, he has to figure it out, what he's going to do now. At this point in our scene, things are looking up for John. He's know he's going to wow. He knows he's going to wow her on a dance floor, turn the tide in his favor. Those three years of dance lessons are finally going to pay off. At this point, the smart writer introduces something new. Okay, you don't give him a victory. Uh. Disaster. Disaster is a hook. 
and a hook is a device for catching, holding, sustaining, or pulling anything, in this case, your reader along. To this end, a disaster is often a logical but unanticipated development that throws John for a loss. Something happens to put him behind the eight ball. On the way to the dance floor, John trips over something and twists his ankle. Disaster. Okay. See how the the reader at this point is really rooting for him. He's already gone through a shitload of shit to just get a dance. Right. And he's not even close to the fucking air. Right. Okay. But the reader's behind him. He sees everything he's overcome so far in this one little scene. Right. You got that reader hooked if you do this right. Rocky sees this. He twists his ankles, comes up making, comes rushing up, takes Marsha's arm and leads her onto the dance floor. John is lost. The scene ends in disaster, but not entirely. You're probably wondering, does the scene always have to end in disaster? Yeah. Except for the very final scene in the book, and that can go either way. Success or disaster, and success usually works the best. As that's what the reader has followed John for page after page of failures for. And then he finally triumphs. But it must also do something else. It must raise an intriguing question for the future, a question designed to keep the reader reading. You're almost at the end of the scene, but not quite. John is, is laying there with his twisted ankle, <coughs> his goal lost temporarily. As he limps off the floor, he determines that he will return when his ankle is rested up for a few minutes and have that dance with her. He's lost for the moment, but you've created incredible tension for the reader who's going to read on to see if later on he does indeed return, dance with her, and win a date. See how it works? Okay. Keep throwing shit at over and over. So you saying, would write in, the, in that scene, he thinks to himself, or not he thinks to himself. Very briefly, or just by his actions. He's, yeah, he's smiling now. He's, he's he one, gets and up boom, and he, he didn't win. He fell down and twisted his ankle. But he's going to get up, he gets up, and he's going to take a few minutes, and he'll be right back on that dance floor. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but you see, that's, there's an old saying in writing, you get, the, you get the character up a tree, and then you start throwing rocks at it, and the rocks become bigger, and they're thrown faster. Right. Over and over and over. Keep throwing shit at it. Right. That's the main thing. See, it's like that whole thing, that going home to his mom, and worry. That just slowed everything down right. for nothing. It was never any threat to begin with, as is proved. But she didn't say, ask anything. None of the shit he thought was going to happen happened. Right. Wasted, wasted time in words. And the reader learns to distrust a writer like that, unless there's something that unless there's something in there. Yeah, if something actually happens, then yeah, okay. But nothing happened, right. did it? No. No. Nothing. Nothing like what he thought was going to happen or any of that. So, see, that's what I mean. That's wasted words. Right. It's wasted space. It's right. typing. That's not writing. He could okay. have just gotten out of the car and then it opens on the next day. You could have Maury briefly and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's it. It could be just like a couple of sentences. Yeah, exactly. Because right. that's all it's worth. Right. Yeah, you threw a little worry at him. Nothing happened, so. But later on, you probably ought to have something happen under similar circumstances to give that credence. No, I, I got it. I mean, of course, I'm going to go through everything yeah. in the book, but whether it's there's something doable in there or not. Yeah. Um, There's probably a beginning or something, but. 
Okay, a scene is a tool that makes the most of conflict. It organizes the conflict elements, then telescopes them and intensifies them. Without this, the prose lies flat and wooden upon the page, i.e. your scene with him walking and worrying about the mom. Right. There was a threat, nothing happened. Right. Okay. Didn't work. Um, Unless something does happen. Your next question probably, is that all the book, is that everything, is that the story, scenes? No. Sequel. Now we're going to get the sequel. What is remaining is sequel. Now I'll get to that a little later, but look, look at some things that cause scenes to fail. One, the orientation is, is, mud, is muddle, muddled. The reader likes to know where... Uh, the reader ha has to know where he or she stands, which means he needs a character to serve as a compass. Even if your focal character isn't on stage, the scene must, the scene must still have a focal point of view character. The focal character's goal is weak. It's not sufficiently specific and concrete. The remedy? One, keep the goal a short-term proposition. Make it something a focal character can logically achieve in a relatively limited time-unified face-to-face encounter. Two, be ruthless in forcing yourself to reduce the goal to a single photographable act. Keep the goal the target the character shoots for and as such, keep it the center of attention in the scene. Other goals may present themselves. Another girl may appear who seems to like John. Temporarily, this may distract him. But you absolutely have to keep other targets such as this. You have to give those targets like that to subordinates, or your, or your scene will swerve off course immediately. Uh, second one is the character himself is weak. Why doesn't he quit in the, in the key phase here? If enough is at stake for him, he'll fight. The reader has to know that this state with Marcia is something he desperately wants and will fight for. Another fault, the scene lacks urgency. And what's urgency? Time pressure, which means there must be some reason for John to act to attain his goal right now. The, con the concert is tomorrow night. That means John has to act now. Plus, he's got the other opposition, the thing that the, the club's going to close in a few minutes. Right. So, he has to act now. Urgency. The opposition is diffuse. As a, warm, a swarm of mosquitoes may prove more dangerous than a rabid dog, but the dog offers unified and obvious menace, and that's why a lot more people come down with malaria than are bitten by rabid dogs. It's also the reason why unified opposition is more useful in building the reader interest than is fragmented opposition. You don't want four guys bidding for Marsha's interest. You want one, Rocky. Small, annoying opposition wears out your focal character rather than overwhelming him. But heroism lies in striking back. I'm sorry, forget that word. Lies in striking back, and your character needs one central figure he can gain he can defeat and that reader that that and thus resolve his problem. A single villain man, I'm sorry, I don't mean to use these terms, a single opposition. Okay. Okay. Broad social injustice may well be at the root of your hero's problem, but the reader won't much care unless you personify them in in the person of one 
individual you think represents those forces. Someone in class a long time ago was going to write this story about a war, and they were going to have all these... They didn't know how to reduce that to a character. And so they, they were going to have these armies fighting each other, but they there was no central character. I said, make a general that your main character, make a private. Make the war through his eyes, either the general or the private, only, right. not through everybody's eyes, not through some <laughs> god overlooking it. Get specific to a character. Right. Okay? Um, and another one, another way scenes don't work is the opposition is weak. And this is the thing we talked about the other day. The strength of your antagonist is the strength of your story. Right. Okay. And write this down. That's important. Writers who lack confidence in their protagonists sometimes try to solve the problem by making their, their bad guy or their opposition weak. This translates into weak scenes and an unpublishable and boring book. The only remedy is to create a powerful opposition character. Under stress, your pro, your protagonist may prove hardier than you think. Another reason scenes fail, the scene is fragmentary or trivial. It exhibits a, a lack of external, adequate external development. If someone spills a drink on John's trousers, there isn't enough meat to build a scene upon unless it leads to further complication. Another problem, the scene is monotonous. Same problem as seven. Uh, the uh, it's, the scene is fragmentary or trivial. It, the same thing. The symptom here is the tendency of your character to go over and over the same ground, haggling, arguing, and rehashing the same issues endlessly. How to solve? A. Throw in more external development. Throw in an unexpected twist. B. Give the characters more diversity. Extra facets and modifying traits will keep them from growing dull and predictable. Nine, the ninth way scene fails. The disaster isn't indigenous to the scene. A disaster should be unanticipated yet logical. It means that it should grow out of your material. No acts of God, etc. What I always refer to as John Wayne cavalry rescues. A drunk could have wandered onto the dance floor and knocked John on out as he was dancing. But the drunk would have little relationship to the story beyond mere complication, and readers draw more satisfaction from motivated action. Now, sequels. Okay. Okay. A sequel, the definition of a sequel, it's a unit of transition that links two scenes. It gives the reader hang, your... Hang on a sec. I got to okay, sure. restart, because there's okay. something I wanted to write down. I forgot what... Okay. Something about goals uh, for everybody... A scene is a tool that makes the most of conflict. It organizes the conflict elements, then telescopes them and intensifies them. Without this, the prose lies flat and wooden upon the page. Your next logical question is, is that everything in a story? Scenes? No. What is remaining your sequel? That's lost, I think. Whatever I was thinking. What What do you think it was? Because that... I was thinking in terms of my story. Okay. This fits right along with your story, by the way. I know. There's so much in it. There's so much in this. 
Well, I'll give you. I'll send you a copy of this anyway. If that'll help. Yeah, we can continue. Okay. Um. Yeah, just to say that. I mean, thinking. Of, I'm thinking about like as you're doing reading as you're going over this stuff. Uh -huh. I'm automatically thinking for next time I sit down making making a list by my on my screen by my screen of how to go through each scene and make sure like for instance that each define everybody's goal in the scene if there's five right. people in the scene yeah, but that's too many what do you mean that's too many that's, too, that's way too many people for a scene scene ideally has two people bring in a third side character or whatever but I would keep most most scenes to two people primary people if for instance you got a scene that you maybe you're writing a Civil War novel uh -huh. and there's a big ball and there's 150 people at this ball okay you want to get the in a scene you want to get the two main characters off on a balcony by themselves okay you don't want to have them stand in a circle with 10 people chipping in and shit your scene's blown already. So, like, you know, I just want to try to isolate the primary characters in a scene. Okay, so when I go back to the pipeline, the initial pipeline scene, um, even though he goes there with like Eddie and Tim, move them out so that the conflict with Henry, which is the central part of that scene, yeah, is the focus. Absolutely. Right. Yes. See. We see individuals. We don't see crowds. Right. Can't see crowds. And it's hard to we write crowds. Exactly. It's impossible. <laughs> and so we always want to keep narrow, narrow, narrow the people in a scene. Right. Huh. Ideally, too. Right. But there's some scenes. There are some crowd scenes that can work if you're in a prison camp in World War II. Uh-huh. But still, if you look at those movies, there's one they keep showing in movies. a really good movie about this prison camp in Germany and how they all they all escaped. It's the only one they ever escaped from. Uh -huh. A bunch of them get killed. But there's like three or 400 people in here plus guards. But every scene gets down to two or three people. Right. And they, they, they're doing it in a room behind a building or whatever. Right. And there's a reason for that. Because if you do out in the open, it's too muddled. Right. Can't, it's not focused. Right, and actually, there's an example from, I think it was Cinema 101, when we were talking, they showed this um, D.W. Griffith. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he did The Birth of Nations. Yeah, Birth of a Nation, some other stuff, but he, as much as he's, he had bad opinions about stuff. He had a, ensemble scenes, didn't he? Right, well, he, there's like an example I always think of, of a scene with, I think it's like Abraham Lincoln and one other character in Abraham Lincoln's office. Uh -huh. And there's a soldier ostensibly to guard like, Abraham yeah, Lincoln. He's a sentry or whatever. Yeah, a sentry in the room. Uh -huh. So like the but he reacts to what's being said. And that's like the funks the function of that character is only for the identification of the audience. So the audience identifies with that soldier because they're the soldier's watching what they're watching. Yeah. And he can't say anything, and the reader can't, or the viewer can't say anything. Right. So it kind of, it, it's like an interesting thing, but yeah. it's you can so you can have like 
I'm thinking of Corky walking with Ronnie and Bridget home, but the scene's really, it's really just Ronnie, Ronnie and Corky. Yeah. Because Bridget, like, she says some stuff here and there, and she gets sick, yeah. and she's, like, really wasted. But she's not really a part of it. Right. She is, but she is. Right. That's okay. That right. three, that's not too many. Yeah. Especially if you keep her role to almost nothing, which you have. You right. did good on that. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I was struggling with the pipeline scene because so many people... Yeah. And I felt like the readers, I mean, yeah, it's... Gone with the wind's a good I one. I don't have to. Once, once like, he walks into, like, the room of the pipeline mm-hmm. with Tim and Eddie, he, they don't have to be part of the scene. No. They'll just be there. They're doing things uh, else with their yeah, background. Yeah, I, I don't have to talk their about vague them. vague background. People yeah. just fill that in on them. And don't let them do anything real interesting to take away from the main scene. Right, yeah. right. Which I don't think they do, really. Look at Gone with the Wind. There's all kinds of crowds. Uh-huh. But whenever you have a scene, it's always isolated to two, two or three people. Right, right. At the very end, she's, she's, uh, she's, he's, he's ditching her. <laughs> There's a million people moving outside. They're moving wagons. The Civil War's over and shit. Right, right. But they're not in. The, they're in the scene, but they're not in the scene. Right. That's it's him and her, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like you have to have only two people in the scene. No. But, but basically, yeah, it's better if you it's can. Like you're you can have people around them and doing dancing or whatever shit like that. It's like, in, but not as part of the scene. In a in a film, you're you're saying close up. Yeah. And so and so and so and so. Yeah. Or in a stage spotlight on. <laughs> yeah. So and so and so and so. And the rest fade into the darkness. Yeah, or they move to the right side of the stage. Uh-huh. And that clues in everybody. You know, is that always the right side? No, I'm just making that up. No, I, I wonder, because that's legitimate, I think. I, I was I was seeing something the other day, something on TV, and I was thinking, they need to move this to the right, because most people's, I think it's because you're right or left-handed. Most people are right-handed. I think their eye automatically moves to the right. Oh, yeah, but on a stage, it can pull focus can, using lighting. I understand that, but I just wonder if there's a, a subliminal thing going on that most people's attention is naturally drawn to the right more than the left. And maybe, yeah, you can light it and make it to the left or something. Maybe that might be a mistake. Maybe it'd even be more powerful if you, if you centered it on the right. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I You know, I don't know. You could do that, I guess. Yeah. Somebody ought to do a study about that. There's probably people that have done the study yeah. on that. Because... When you think about it, when you know when they That's, do still photography, they don't center shit. They'll put it off center, but it's still the focal part the way they do it. And I think well, mostly, funny. mostly it's to the right. I think it's funny because if you, I mean, I don't know if you did you ever take classes in photography. No, but I, I think I have a good eye, natural eye. Right. I mean, they break down the frame into nine sectors and ideally should see be it's like that one up there i'm very proud of that although there might be a little too much i know i don't i think it's just right i really do right but like this this kind of study of it it's yeah. like you if you it's like feeling yeah you when you feel like if you're a good photographer i mean i think mm-hmm. you you feel that stuff naturally yeah it's like reading and writing yeah 
It's like if you're like you. I think you said. See, it's like my son there. He's walking that picture. Uh huh. Okay, he's walking into space. Right. If I if I put the space in the other side, it wouldn't work. But right. I know See, that he's right on the line. That like if you break that into a grid of nine nine yeah. boxes. He's right on one of the proper lines. I, but I knew okay. that, and I didn't know anything about that. But yeah. I, I mean, I know that. Also, I do mostly verticals, and I think they're more powerful as a rule. Sometimes you have to do horizontals. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But it's one of those things where if you're not exploring other formats and I mean other ways of doing it, you're not going to progress. Yeah. It's just like getting edited as a writer. If you're not being, mm-hmm. if you're not getting. Edited, you're not. Yeah, you don't know if it's good or bad or right. different. You might think it's good because yeah. you're reading it yourself. Because you don't have a, a somebody you respect, somebody knows what they're doing, looking at it and saying, "Yeah, this works. This doesn't work." Right. Like I mean, we do. <laughs> that's like in drawing, everything, every yeah. kind of art. I just read a TED thing, really good about a doctor. Uh huh. He said. When he went to school, he said doctor is the only profession he can think of where once you graduate, your education is done as far as a teacher, a mentor, or anything. Uh-huh. He says, I didn't think I was right, so I asked my former teacher. He said, I thought I was really a good surgeon. I asked him to come in. In the first operation, he had pages and pages of notes of things I think I did right, and they were wrong. Uh-huh. And he says, I hated it, but he says, I do it all the time now right. because it's made me a much better... He said more people should have mentors even when they're accomplished. Right. And we don't, as doctors don't, it's their pride or whatever. Because they think they're gods. Yeah. But I wish I, I wish I knew how to save shit like that so I'd go back to it, but I don't. Because that was a really good point he made. And he said, he said for, for instance, one of the nurses bumped a light. And he never even did anything about it, but he said it, it screwed up his vision in a little bit uh-huh. of the patient, what he was doing. Uh-huh. And he said, I never even thought of that. Uh-huh. But he said, my mentor made a note of it. It messed up your vision when she, that, that light was askew then. Right. It wasn't where it should have been. Uh-huh. And so your operation could have been even better. Right. You know, things like that. It was really, I thought, a powerful message. But yeah, we all need mentors. Right. Some is more than others. <laughs> okay, sequel. So sequels. Sequel. A sequel is a, is a unit of transition that links two scenes. It gives the reader your focal character's reaction to the scene just completed and provides him with motivation for the scene next to come. It has three functions. One, to translate disaster into goal. Two, to telescope reality. And three, to control tempo. And what do you mean telescope reality? What does that mean? We'll get to it. Oh, yeah. Okay. It translates disaster into goal by providing a bridge that gives your chance, your character a plausible reason to strike out in a particular direction that will bring the character into further conflicts. John faces what happened, what's happened. He's been defeated. So should he give up the chase for Marcia? Should he seek out someone else to take to the concert? Should he just forget the whole thing and resign himself to masturbation? The possibilities are endless. Yet only when he reaches 
a decision as to which route road to take, can the story proceed logically? Okay. Okay. So that's that's one thing it does. Um, this is one of the jobs of the sequel, the decision-making area, the bridge from one scene to the next. Remember, a scene is a unit of conflict. The reader reads through it because she likes to live through a struggle to find an answer to the implied question of who wins and who loses. But sooner or later, every battle ends on a hook, a question, a disaster. Your reader is eager to find out what happens next. She wants that moment where you, your story force, forces once again some the character into conflict. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is where they're thinking he's coming up. He's, okay, I screwed up here. I did this wrong. How can I make this better? How, what can I do to make this better? Make it work next time. And this is where you got to be careful. Conflict for conflict's sake isn't enough simply because it's meaningless. It carries no clear-cut cause-effect relationship to what's happened before. The reader demands that your character's efforts have a meaning. There must, they must be the product of what's happened before, and they must also be the product of intelligence and direction. <coughs> Without logic and plausibility, all the tension is lost. Fiction is concocted on a suspension of disbelief. If you're Story people act irrationally or without cause. The reader's intelligence is insulted and she'll quit reading. And this is where sequel comes in. Implicitly or explicitly, it reveals how your focal character chooses his or her new course of action. It tells your reader that this is a sensible person, one that she can accept and get behind. Mm -hmm. Okay? We see the thought processes. We right. see how they process would just happen and come up with a new attack. Right, and that reminds me of the moment when uh, Corky leaves Itkins mm -hmm. and then he, he had already seen Tim down the block mm -hmm. and instead of just kind of randomly seeing him and just kind of randomly going over to see what he's doing yeah. making a decision that as a reaction to the disaster in the ice cream parlor, mm -hmm. he's deciding that might be a better way to go. Cool. Instead of just like so randomly he's thinking going. all this, right? No, he's not thinking. That's that's what's missing from it. Okay, so now that's what you're going to write now, right? Right. So that yeah. would be in terms of like a sequel. That, exactly. Just that. That'll tie that previous scene to what he's going to do next. Right. It, it gives a reason why exactly. he's exactly right, man. Right. I I love my my best student ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Um. Sequel traces your character's chain of logic, how he rationalized what just happened. Therefore, sequel is aftermath. As such, it telescopes reality. Making a decision may take time, and it may demand movement. Often it calls for the introduction of new material, even undramatic material, to help your character decide what to do next. Consider John. It may take an hour for him to make up his mind what he wants to do. Presented in detail, such a time lapse in this case of even an hour will bog down your story. You could show him getting a couple of drinks, talking to other girls, tending to his ankle, etc. But you'd lose the reader. This is time for summary. It's telling, not showing. See, that's why I hate you showing when that bumper sticker bullshit, show, mm -hmm. don't tell. Right. 
you show don't tell in a movie script, not in fiction. Right. You tell. Right. That's your advantage. You can tell. Right. You get sequel. Right. Okay. It just all this bumper sticker crap drives me nuts because people build careers on it, <laughs> and people sit in their class and eat this shit up and say, "Oh, they're brilliant." They're not brilliant. They're idiots. Right. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> sorry. Okay, where was I? You this were, is, it's time for summary now. It's telling, not showing. And believe it or not, there's a place for telling in a story. This is that time. Using summary, you telescope the events of that hour. And that controls tempo. A story is a series of peaks and, and valleys. Big moments and small. It's not a continuing climax. The sequel allows the reader to gather his or her thoughts and relax a bit before the next scene. It's in sequel you work for tone and mood and capture the flavor of John's life. You slow down here to control the tempo. That makes sense, right? Right. What unifies sequel and holds it together? Topic. Topic is the subject of a discourse or any section of it. The subject of our story here is John's reaction to his plight with Marcia. It's his preoccupation with the problem the preceding news scene posed. It says, in effect, I've been defeated, humiliated, overcome by a disaster. What can I do now? That's what he could have done after the thing in the schoolroom. Right. A sequel like this. Okay. With that preoccupation writing him, John works out an answer. Then he pins for him in a decision to attack a new goal. Therefore, sequel has a one, two, three structure. One, there's a reaction to what just happened. Just like following the inciting incident. Right. There's a reaction. Two, there's a dilemma. He's got a problem. Right. It's exciting. It's all over again. Right. And three, he makes a decision right. how to attack the problem. Right. It happens over and over and over. But you need sequel to do this, to make this logical. Right. To provide pacing, all this shit. Here's how that works. Let's build a sequel to John's defeat. He sees Rocky and Marsha on the dance floor, and Marsha looks deliriously happy. Another blow to John. He questions why he would even want to date her when she's so infatuated with another man. He wonders if he should just quit. But then he remembers something about Marcia, how her eyes softened when he first approached her. He senses that if he just does the right thing, he can win her affection. He thinks through what he, what he knows. He knows Rocky's allowed. The problem is Marcia doesn't seem to realize that. How can he make her see the difference between them? He makes up his mind to ask her to dance. He knows she loves to dance, and he can see Rocky's terrible at it. That's the key to success, he thinks. <coughs> his ankle feels better. The song ends, and he walks toward the dance floor as another song begins. And Rocky sees him, grabs Marcia, and begins dancing with her again. John turns away, an imminent defeat staring him in his eyes when... He spots another girl, Helen, an old friend he's danced with many times, who just happens to be a great dancer, and they dance well together. He considers a new plan. Why not dance with Helen? When Marcia sees how well he dances, can see how well he dances, he hurries over to Helen. He ma he's made a decision. First step, impress Marcia. It's a new goal for John to strive toward, and count on it. Conflict will inevitably follow. At least it will if we make the proper use of the scene of our scene pattern. Reaction, dilemma, decision. 
all the parts are there. It's huh. a sequel. Right. See, that's what that's one of the things that was needed after the inciting incident. Right. For him to make a decision instead of wandering and then have something happen to him, which is kind of what happens. Right. He's too. He's not active and proactive. He's right. got to be proactive. And that comes from thinking about what happened. It was bad, and how to fix it, and then starting on that plan. Right. I mean, there could be. I mean, it could be any kind of thing. The whole do. inciting incident is takes place over the classroom and the auditorium. Right. Right. So when he's leaving the auditorium, that before he gets to the ice cream parlor, reaction, dilemma, decision to try again with this group of people in the ice cream parlor, and then yeah. there's another but, scene. But the way you've got it structured now, it wasn't a decision he made. It was a decision that was made for him. Right. They just invited him to come. Right. right. It wasn't his... Well, there's a subtle decision there, but it's not overt. Yeah, but it needs to be his decision, clearly his right. decision. Right, 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 right. Okay? Right. Right, right. You see how, how that's automatically going to make it I was it already better? thinking of reshaping it because yeah. of the parent, the non, the parents piling on the situation outside yeah. and yeah. then him, instead of Jerome coming over and inviting him, him knowing they're going somewhere. Yeah. And him. And you're thinking, maybe I get another chance to figure out if she was serious or whatever. Right. What's whatever. the deal? Yeah. 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 See how already. This kind of shit is making your story stronger and stronger and stronger. Right. You're going to have a good book when you get done. You really are. Right. Because you're smart, man. Now, sometimes there can be longer sequels. Maybe, probably, this doesn't work and time has run out. The club closes. This may call for a longer sequel until John can once again pursue Marcia. Maybe she leaves with Rocky. Now, instead of an hour, he has almost a full day to convince her to go to the concert with him. There's still that element of time to create tension, but there's a bit more of it. Now John can go into flashback if that's needed to show the reader why he's so enamored of Marcia to begin with, although I wouldn't advise it. Anyway, he can do a lot of things here, but over, over it all, you have to maintain the tension of, the, of time evaporating for the fulfillment of his goal. Sequels are the places for summary, flashback, telling instead of showing, etc., Finally, you need to integrate scene and sequel. They must complement each other and link together smoothly into that unified, cohesive whole that we know as story. And here's how. One, you control story pacing by how you proportion scene to sequel. Big scenes equal big interest. Long sequels, in turn, tend to indicate strong plausibility. You must decide which element is most important to you at each given point. Blood and guts melodrama may jump from death, threat, fistfight, to rape, to ambush, virtually without sequel. It's all conflict, no transition. Doesn't work. Movies it works, I guess. Characterization, the most important element, is lost. On the other hand, the narrative can reside solely in the character's mind, and the only hint of strife is when he raises his eyebrows at his wife's snotty remark. Boring. A story needs both drama and introspection. Action reveals character, or at least it should. Simply put, a scene encompasses overt action. Doesn't mean here the layperson's definition of action, but the literary one. And the sequel deals 
with the protagonist's reaction to what just happened in the scene, which posts a new dilemma to him and ends with a decision on how to deal with the new dilemma and a new scene, leading up to what appears to be a victory, but ends in a new disaster, which leads to a new possibility to the character enters in inner sequel where the character reacts to what just happened, which poses a new dilemma and ends with a decision on how to deal with that and a new scene and so on. And everything increases as the novel or story moves toward a final climax. Hope that helps. It's amazing. Scene and sequel. I at the beginning of every class I've got certain handouts I ask people to read and there's only three books I recommend. Mine, uh, Jack Bickham's scene and sequel. He explains all better than I could. Uh-huh. And it's very cheap, a little plain little book. Jack? And Jack Bickham, B-A-C-K-H-A-M. It's a great book. I think it's one of the three best books ever written on writing. And it's, people don't even know about it anymore. And then Janet Burroughs, writing fiction. How do you spell Burroughs? B-U-R-R-O-W-A-Y. She teaches down in Florida. It's it's a more academic, but it's a powerful book. It's so it's the best book on writing ever written, and I know of, and I think I know all of them. It's funny because like I'm, it's just I'm learning this new thing, and it reminds me of learning playwriting. Yeah, probably. And. The thing that I always, the thing that I came to to write, all of my plays, I started with a theme. Like love. Or theme. Oh, I got a thing on theme. Theme should but, only come after you finish the story. Okay. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I'm not, yeah, I'm not working like that with this. I wouldn't work it with anything. But just as an idea. Theme is a, a lit professor's tool. That's something to justify their existence. That's all it's for. This is just a way I developed to work. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I got it from anybody. Just to start a new play, I'd think of a theme. Sure. And then a setting. And then. Because I like this play, No Exit, by John Paul Sartre. Oh, yeah. And I think I got that right over there. I had a, I held a whole philosophy I, when I was sitting in a theater. This oh, theater. No. What's that, Sart? That's uh, I can't read the title. In the middle there. Is it Sartre? Being in nothingness. Oh yeah, being in nothingness. Yeah. But um, I got it somewhere around here. I was conflicted because I was like, "What's the point of being a playwright?" Yeah. And I was like, "Well." I remember how my dad talked about like going to church. It was like a break. It was a respite from uh-huh. living in poor, poor in Brooklyn. Yeah, there was there was a respite, and then I was thinking how if if people went to my plays and walked out feeling a little bit better about their life, that's something that changes the world, right? Yeah, and yeah, then absolutely. the idea of no exit is people that are not that don't get along have to, are forced to get along, right? Okay. And so all the all of my plays involve people that are very different in a setting, whether it's a workplace or a coffee shop or a in apartment. Yeah. They're either there's differences in who they are 
and then the play deals with how they get along, and they get and they and it resolves in the end one way or another, uh-huh. and so that's where I worked from, and it worked very well. Yeah. And because everybody had their own goals, uh-huh. and conflict entered, and anyway, that's stuff I figured out. But this is interesting because it really gives me great tools to move forward. I mean, I know right now it's, it's just going to And those make, two tools are the building block of fiction. It's just going to make everything so much easier. Good, 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 good. I mean, the thing about... Oh, the question, one question I had about the... They didn't get into it. The the, So, him like... The guy trying to get a date with the wife sprains his ankle. In the sequel, he... He reflects on what happened. What mistakes he made. What mistakes he made. How he'd fix it. And you're not going to show him sitting at the bar having five drinks. No, he can be riding his motorcycle through town, whatever. And it's not even important what he's doing. No. The importance is the internal dialogue. Because this is telling. Right. You don't have to have action. If you want to, you can, but that's right. not necessary. It could just be It's little... telling. Right. When they say... Show, don't tell, they're so full of shit. Uh-huh. They took out half a book. It's, it's Did they say show, don't tell in, oh, yeah. in fiction writing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a bumper sticker piece of advice. Big one. Show, don't tell. What they're talking about, see, they, they don't have room in a bumper sticker to put all the advice that's right on there. Uh-huh. Um, what they're saying is people will describe a scene. Uh-huh. They won't write a scene, they'll describe a scene. Right. Well, they're telling. You don't describe a scene, you write a scene. Right. But that's not the only thing in a novel. Right. There's scene and sequel. Right. And in sequel, you tell things. Right. You tell the reader this. Right. You're not showing him. I mean, you are in a way, you're showing a guy's thoughts, but... Yeah. I just, I hate most... I, I hated university when I taught there because they're so full of crap. So fuck. It's no wonder thousands, millions of people take these classes and firstly, a tiny, tiny percentage ever write a publishable book because they're not being taught how to write a book. Right. They're taught how to do parts. They're not even taught how to put the parts together. It's crazy. It's simple, really, when you start to learn this shit and you learn... These are all you need. These two building blocks are all you need for a great story. Why didn't you tell me this before? Well, you can look around the books I've done on writing. I've probably got over 100 books. And I'll buy the worst writing book. Because even in the worst book, there's one thing that's true that's worth it to me. Uh-huh. But the rest of it, no. It wasn't worth 12 bucks. It was worth 50 cents, probably. Uh-huh. But it's still worth 12 bucks. Because if you learn one thing from it, it's worth it. Right. And I, I read everything. I quit after a while because it's the same shit over and over. Uh-huh. Nobody remembers the past. They don't remember the f- people with four books like this already that were better than the one this clown's trying to write. Right. Stephen King, Jesus, trades me nuts. He's a fucking hack. He's a 12-year-old mind writing to other 12-year-old minds. He scares people. People like to be titillated. Yeah. They just do, but that's a, that's kind of a juvenile thing, I think. What is this thing called love?
this funny thing called love. That was Lesson Jack on writing Uncensored, Episode 3, Scenes and Sequels.